Welcome to Vineyard Hopkinton. As we follow Jesus together, we experience the Holy Spirit, create a multicultural community, and pursue kingdom of God justice. You know, as we end our series in Jonah today, you know, there's some things that just make me say, wow, the Bible really is, you know, a different type of book. It really is. It's got something you know, of, of God, the divine in it. And one of the things that makes me say that when I look at Jonah is the fact that Jonah is even included in the Bible. Because if I was making our family history, I might have been like, yeah, let's leave out the part about great uncle Jonah. He wasn't such a great guy. You know, I might have edited it, redacted it out a little bit because Jonah doesn't look so good. Really, the only person who looks good in this story is God. So let's uh, watch a little video recapping where we've been over the last three weeks. The Book of Jonah, a subversive story about a rebellious prophet who hates God for loving his enemies. Jonah's unique among the prophets of the Old Testament because they're typically collections of God's words spoken through the prophet. But this book doesn't actually focus on the words of the prophet. Rather, it's a story about a prophet, a really mean and nasty prophet. The story opens as God addresses Jonah and commissions him to go preach against the evil and injustice in Nineveh, the capital city of the Assyrian Empire, Israel's bitter enemy. But instead of going east to Nineveh, Jonah goes in the opposite direction, finding a ship going as far west as you can go to Tarshish. But God foils Jonah's plans to escape Nineveh. As Jonah's sinking, God provides this strange watery tomb for him, the stomach of a large fish. Now, of course, under normal circumstances, this would be certain death. But in this story, everything's upside down. And so Jonah's submarine death becomes his passage back to life. Cramped in the stomach of this beast, Jonah utters a prayer, where he never technically says that he's sorry. But he does thank God for not abandoning him, and he promises that he will obey God from this point on, no matter what. And God's response is quite comic. The whale vomits Jonah back onto dry land. So once again, God commissions Jonah to go and preach in Nineveh, and Jonah complies. We're told that Nineveh was a gigantic city. It would take days to walk through. So Jonah gets one day in, and here is his message. Forty more days, and Nineveh will be overturned. It's five words in Hebrew. Now, his sermon is very short, and it's also odd. I mean, look at what's missing. There's no mention of what the Ninevites have done wrong, or of what they should do to respond. There's no mention of who might overturn them. And most noticeable, there's no mention of God. What's going on here? Has Jonah intentionally given the bare minimum of information? It's like he's trying to sabotage his own message, or ensure the Ninevites' destruction. There's just no effort on Jonah's part here. Whatever his motives are, the plan doesn't work. Because no sooner does he utter this five-word sermon that the king of Nineveh, the entire city, including all its cows, repent in sorrow and ashes. So for the second time, these evil pagans show themselves to be more responsive than God's own prophet. So God forgives the Ninevites, and he doesn't bring destruction on the city. Now, here's the brilliant part of the story. The last word of Jonah's short sermon, overturned, means just that, turned over. And it can refer to a city being overthrown or destroyed, like Sodom and Gomorrah, but it can also be used of something being transformed, like turned over and changed into its opposite. And so, comically, Jonah's words actually came true, but not in the way that he intended. 
Nineveh does get turned over as Jonah's enemies repent and find God's mercy. So the people in Nineveh repent, they respond. And Jonah, you know, Jonah is an interesting character. He's kind of like, the the book is about him, but he's more of an anti-hero type of character. We get to see a lot about who Jonah is as we go through um, this book. There's a model called the um, Joe Harry Window Model, and it talks about what we know about ourselves and what other people know about us and maybe some of our blind spots. So what, what I know about myself and what you know about me, what I realize my strengths, my weakness, you realize my strengths, my weakness, that's kind of like the open, wide playing field in which we communicate pretty well. Life's pretty good. But now there are areas about myself that I might intentionally choose to, you know, not include, not disclose, keep private, maybe sometimes rightly or or wrongly so. Of course, there may be things that you guys realize about me that I don't quite realize about myself. Oh, yeah, Sarah's not going to be cool with that. Oh, what do you mean? I think I'm cool with that. That's called a blind spot. But there are also areas that other people don't realize about me and I don't realize about my own self. The purpose of this model is actually to show us that we want to increase that open area. We want to increase that wide open area by open honesty, disclosing, sharing who we are. Also, we want to increase that wide open area by you guys telling me, you know, some feedback. Hey, Sarah, I noticed this. Like, oh, well, that's helpful advice. We want to increase that open area where where we're known, uh, where we're sharing vulnerably. Um, As Jonah is placed in a stressful situation, he discovers some things about himself, and some things about himself come to light that he may not have been entirely proud of in the end. When Jonah is placed in this stressful situation, when he has to do something that he does not want to do, when things go against his plans, he gets to see what is in that unknown area. Jonah goes from running away from God, going in the opposite direction, to trying to fight God or or, or control God. God tells him in the end, hey, Jonah, you haven't done much. You didn't get yourself here, all right? A whale got you here. You didn't save the Ninevites. You haven't done much. Can't I just be merciful? God saves again and again. God saves. And Jonah's called simply to cooperate and obey. But he's got some real, it sounds like a simple task, right? But he's got some real internal work to adjust to how he cooperates with a God, with a God who's so gracious, who's so generous, who's so merciful, who's so like annoyingly good. Jonah's got some internal work to do. So that's what we're going to be reading about today. Jonah gives us a really good example of what not to do. And I'm always grateful when other people make mistakes. I'm like, huh, look, that's one mistake maybe I can avoid. We get to learn from Jonah's mistakes today. So let's pray, and then we're going to read uh, Jonah chapter 4. Jesus, we thank you this morning 
that you have good things for us. And Jesus, as we read about um, kind of a failed prophet who you raised up, who you wanted good from, who you invested in, Jesus, we know that there's so much mercy and that you want us, Jesus, to be your prophets, to be your evangelists, to, to be people who follow you totally and that you hold out even better for us, Jesus, that you have a future for us and good plans. And so this morning, Jesus, we, we open our hearts and our minds to you. Thank you, Jesus, that, that today is no ordinary Sunday because you're here. That today is no ordinary Sunday because we have the opportunity to meet with an extraordinary God. That we have the words of life written for us. God breathes scripture for us to read the community of brothers and sisters of faith. Would our hearts be touched and changed today? In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. All right. So um, the Ninevites uh, have repented, uh, and they're, you know, getting on God's good side. And Jonah is not happy with it. Verse 1. This change of plans greatly upset Jonah, and he became very angry about it. So he complained to the Lord about it. Didn't I say before I left home that you would do this, Lord? This is why I ran away from Tarshish. I knew that you were a merciful and compassionate God, slow to get angry and filled with unfailing love. Doesn't sound quite as negative as I think Jonah meant it. You are eager to turn back from destroying people. Gosh, it's the worst. Just kill me now, Lord. I'd rather be dead than alive if what I predicted will not happen. I'd rather be dead than alive if what I predicted will not happen. You see why I say Jonah doesn't look particularly good in this book. The Lord replied, Is it right for you to be angry about this? Then Jonah went out. He, he took himself out uh, to the east side of the city and he made a shelter to sit under as he waited to see what would happen to the city. Kind of feel like he's like, well, you know, I'm just going to go out here and maybe, maybe they'll repent of their repentance and there's still time for me to see a good like toasting and roasting. Um, so he's sitting under his shelter, going to see what happens. And then the Lord arranged for a leafy plant to grow there. And soon it spread its broad leaves over Jonah's head, shading him from the sun. It eased his discomfort, and Jonah was really grateful for the plant. But God also arranged for a worm. The next morning at dawn, the worm ate through the stem of the plant so that it withered away. As the sun grew hot, God arranged for a scorching east wind to blow on Jonah. The sun beat down on his head until he grew faint and wished to die. You know, the, the plant uh, out there in the desert and the whale are kind of similar. The whale was God's means of like saving him in kind of a, a nasty, wet, wet way. Um, the, the plant was God's way of giving him some shelter in the, the scorching heat. 
But you know, the desert heat shows that Jonah did not learn his lesson in the whale. And guys, it is, it is a crying shame if we have to sit in like the stink, stank stench of a whale's belly and then again in the frying pan of a desert and still don't learn our lesson. Like, I don't know about you, I really want to learn my lesson the first time. Only one lesson, please. So the sun beat down on his head until he grew faint and wished to die. Death is certainly better than living like this, he exclaimed. Then God said to Jonah, Is it right for you to be angry because the plant died? Yes, Jonah retorted, even angry enough to die. Then the Lord said, You feel sorry about the plant, though you did nothing to put it there. It came quickly, it died quickly. But Nineveh has more than 120,000 people living in spiritual darkness. You hear God's tenderness like they're just, they're lost. Uh, uh, Not to mention all the animals. Let's add on the animals too. Shouldn't I feel sorry for such a great city? God gets on to Jonah's love. Think about the plant. You felt sorry for the plant? Think about my people. Shouldn't I feel sorry for such a great city? It would be really nice if the book ended with Jonah saying, You're right, God. I have nothing to be angry about. I will love my enemies because you have loved me. The end. It ends with a question mark. The question just lingers out there, hangs out there. The question is ultimately for us to answer. Will we be comfortable with God's great mercy to people who may or may not deserve it? Well, God was heard in Nineveh. That's the good news. People accepted God's message in Nineveh. We have done something wrong. We will change. We'll change everything. We'll repent. God was heard. But unfortunately for Jonah, Jonah was kind of ignored. If the Ninevites had just buttered him up, given him some compliments, maybe fixed him a nice meal, Jonah wouldn't have had to be so angry. God was heard. Jonah was ignored. And God and Jonah uh, have argued a lot in this book. They have had a number of disagreements. um, But there are actually a good number of things that God and Jonah agree on. They agree about sin. They agree that Nineveh was wicked. They agree about God's power to save. Uh, They agree about God's character of mercy. God and Jonah agree about theology. Where they disagree on is how that is all worked out. Where they disagree on is God's heart of mercy and and love and his care for for everyone. Where they disagree is uh, the experience of how it's worked out in love and in real life. And we think, oh, well, that's just because Jonah is bitter and prejudiced. But everybody would have thought the same thing Jonah thought. Because the Ninevites were not good people. And what happens to not good people in stories? They're supposed to get some sort of a punishment. This is what happens to to evil people. Everyone would have thought the same thing that Jonah thought. 
These are the bad guys. They should get what's coming to them. So the problem here, the problem here is not God's problem. God doesn't have a problem. The problem here is Jonah's character. As God gets less angry, Jonah gets more angry, right? When God's angry with the Ninevites, Jonah's like, this is cool. Life's going good. When God is not angry, all of a sudden Jonah is angry. God and Jonah are just diametrically opposed. Their character, their preferences, their wants are just totally opposite. The word anger occurs six times in this last chapter. And you know, anger is a good diagnostic tool. Anger tells us stuff. Uh, when, when was the last time you were angry? Yesterday? Hopefully, you know, not too many like this morning. It's only 10 a.m. in the morning. It's a bright, sunshiny morning. But maybe this morning, this week, you know, kids going back to school. Maybe that made you really angry. My class schedule is this. Anger tells us something. Now, anger tells us something's wrong. It doesn't always tell us what is wrong. Anger often, you know, tells us we, it's a sign for anxiety. We get angry because we're anxious. We're, we're frustrated. We're nervous. We're really disappointed. Anger tells us things, though, some, either inside us or outside of us. Jonah here is supposedly angry at two things. He's angry at God's goodness to other people, and he's angry at God's lack of enough goodness to him. I kind of think if he wasn't angry about the second one, he wouldn't be angry about the first one. If he wasn't angry that God hadn't been quite good enough to him, he wouldn't be angry that God was good to other people. And so God gives him this shade, this plant that refreshes him. God arranges blessing at the right time. says, you know what, Jonah? You do need a little space, a little time to yourself. You can take a time out, think for, for a minute. God arranges the right blessing at the right time. And then God arranges the removal of a blessing at the right time. Okay, let's turn up the heat. Let's get you moving. It's been long enough. Move you back uh, inside. The Lord gives. The Lord takes. Blessed be the name of the Lord because he's God, but because he's also doing this all for our own good. And Jonah can be you know, disappointed or angry at the removal of comfort, at the removal of this shade, but his best happiness is still available to him. God is available to him. Peace and joy and and the love of God is available to him. Jonah has incredible happiness available to him in God. He just chooses to, to shun it and argue with God over other things. And as, as we think about Jonah out there in the kind of the sweltering heat, you know, sometimes I feel a little sorry for the dude. I mean, we just came off of a couple of really hot weeks. I don't like being hot. It's uncomfortable. I feel a little sorry for him. Oh, 
oh, you know, if it's really hot out there, you know, my uh, my car, the um, air conditioning broke down for a couple weeks, so uh, like during the hot weeks here, and so I called my mechanic, and he was busy, and I was too lazy to hunt up another mechanic, so I just drove around in a really hot car, and this is terrible. I started speeding. I'm like, I'm sorry, but I just, I just, I got to get there fast. Got to get this over with. This is very unpleasant for me. We know what it's like to be uncomfortable. And this is a hot desert. It was more than just 90 degrees in a in temperate climate. But why is he sitting out there anyways? He could be in a shady cafe in Nineveh. It was he who chose to go out there. It was he who set up a hot hovel outside in the desert. It was he who took himself outside of the place where God was working. It's his choice to be out there. It, uh, it reminds me of another story Jesus told, the story of the prodigal son where a man had two sons. And the younger son, oh, he wasn't a good son. He, he said to his father, I, I wish you were dead. I could just have your stuff. Give me half of my inheritance now. So the father, sadly, gave his son his half of the family money. He went off, wasted almost immediately, gambling, parties. Soon he was just living on the streets. He said, this is terrible. I'm going to go back to my dad's house, get him to take me on as a servant because at least his servants have enough to eat. He comes back home. He said, the father runs out, gives him a big hug. You're back. You're back. You're not coming back as a servant. You're coming back as my son. I'm so happy to see you. The older brother is like, this guy is back and you're okay with it? Uh-uh, no way. Do you remember what he did? Do you remember what a terrible person he, he is? And the father throws a party to celebrate having both his kids together with him. And the older brother, he goes outside. It's out there in the dark, maybe off in a cold field. He's like, I'm having none of this. There's no way I'm staying inside in your party at all. The father has to go out to him plead with him, beg him, son, come back inside. I just wanted the family to be together. The older brother leaves the party. Jonah leaves the city because neither one of them are comfortable. Neither one of them can kind of like stand being in the center of God's work in a place of love and, and redemption and generosity like, oh, I got I to gotta get out of there. You know, the old Jonah was a good guy. He was a prophet. You know, prophets, you know, they're, they're good, respected religious people. The oldest brother, he was a good kid. Fine young man, upstanding citizen. Not like that younger kid. He, he had some issues, if you remember back then. You know, the older brother... He was respected. But when he was confronted with the fullness of who his father was, with the generosity and forgiveness, the extravagant grace of who his father was, he couldn't take it. He was out of touch 
with the heart of God, the, the deeper character of uh, the Father. And he became angry, resentful, bitter, proud, stingy, unkind. And you look at him like, wait, I thought he was the good kid. Where, where did all of this come from? You know, he throws a fit and, and storms outside, and, and the father has to say to his guests, excuse me, one moment, please. I have to go deal with this situation with my other child. Like, this isn't what the, the other one, he's, he's supposed to be the good kid. Where did this come from? Well, it's the same thing that happened to God's original good kids, to Adam and Eve. Adam and Eve were told, everything I have is yours. See, all this abundance of the garden, you can eat from anything, help yourself, it's all yours, just not this one tree that's not good for you. And Adam and Eve, they bought into the, the lie of the serpent, they said, oh, that one tree. That's probably the best tree here. God probably doesn't want us to have the good stuff. He's withholding from us. He's keeping the good stuff from us. God doesn't love us enough. God doesn't give us as much as he should. Like, listen to what the oldest son says. Uh, he, he answered his father. He said, look, all these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders. Really? I feel like there might be a little bit of an exaggeration there. Yet you never gave me even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. Really? There might be a little exaggeration there. But when this son of yours who has squandered your property with prostitutes comes home, you kill the fatted calf for him. The eldest son says what some of us say. God, I've worked so hard for you and done almost everything right. And what thanks do I get for it? No one even acknowledges my effort and how good I am. And then like Joe Schmo over here rolls in and he's just as happy with Jesus and he hasn't even done anything. And then she, look how relaxed and how she's loving life. And what has even she done for you, God? God just isn't really interested in me. He's more concerned with these reprobate sinners, these big cases, and I'm, I'm just too good. God, you know, God takes me for granted. You know, I haven't gotten enough of the good stuff from God. Um, Jesus told another story about a um, guy who owned a vineyard nice big vineyard uh, in Matthew 20. And one day he goes out to get folks to come harvest grapes for him. He goes out, he's like, hey, I'll pay you a good day's wage. Let's say, you know, $100, come, come work for me. They're like, great, good, I could use the money. They go to work. Around noon, he goes find some other people. He's like, hey, why are you working? No one hired us. Oh, come, come work for me, come work for me. Great. At the very end of the day, he finds more folks not, not where, hey, come work for me, come work for me. So they gather up all the grapes. They've done a good day's work. He starts handing out money. And the folks he hired at the very end of the day, he gives them $100. Good day's wage. They can go home, take care of, what, pay the bills that they need to, to pay for, for the week. 
comes to the people who we hired at noon, a hundred dollars also. Well, now the people who've been there all day, they start, oh, great, they're getting a hundred dollars. I bet we get more. Nope, they get a hundred dollars. And they're indignant, like, hey, you gave those guys the same amount, and they didn't work as hard as we did. And the landowner says, friends, are you angry that I am generous? Did I not agree to pay you a good day's wage? Are you angry that I am generous? You know, this story tells us many things. Um, primarily, God just wants families to have enough to live on. God cares that, you know, kids aren't going to bed hungry at night. But God is incredibly generous, and he will take care of those who have been working hard all day. He will provide, and he will also take care of those who have not worked quite as hard. God is generous beyond what we kind of sometimes think is fair. God is generous. You know, the more that I do life, the more I realize that life truly is between me and God. It's not a comparison of other people. It's not a competition with other people. Life is really between me and God. And my thanks come not from other people, but from God. And one word of thanks from God, oh, that's all, all worth it. But friends, as we uh, wrap things up here today, how do we come back inside? How do we go from being Jonah outside in the heat, angry and resentful? How do we go from being the elder brother, uncomfortable with the party? How do we come back inside? Listen, guys, I've had my experience uh, with, with this, my little pouty place. You know, I, too, throw sad, solitary pity parties. Um, usually it's of something that, you know, was my own idea to do. You know what? I have this great idea. I'm going to do this big project. It's going to be awesome. I take this on entirely myself. And then I get angry that, you know, people aren't giving me all the credit for it. It's my own idea. I chose to do it. I, I have some experience with this. Well, we can go back in one of two ways. We can just kind of trudge back in and say, well, I'm here. I'm in the party. Slowly I'll adjust. I'll loosen up. Fake it till you make it. And I'll, I'll get over myself. Or we can see God coming out to us. Because in both stories... God comes out. God comes out to Jonah in the unpleasantness outside the city. And the city was where revival was happening. The city is where God should be. You know, people are coming back. We got great things happening. He leaves that to go to the uncomfortableness outside with Jonah and speak to Jonah. And the father, he leaves his wonderful party that he's thrown. He goes outside. He leaves the champagne. He, he leaves the cheesecake to go outside to be with his son and say to him, Son, everything I have is yours and you are always with me. Sounds like they're having a party in there. He leaves the party and says, Son, 
everything I have is yours, and you're always with me. And when we find ourselves in places of, of, of you know, bitterness or, or resentment, in places where we are just not comfortable with the fullness of God's generosity, when, when we feel like we are outside of the work of God, outside of the joy of God, everyone else is enjoying good stuff with God. When we find ourselves in places like that, we have the choice, we have the chance to look up and see God come to us. Of see God speaking to us. God doesn't want his revival without me. God doesn't want his party without you. God loves you. He chooses you. He wants you. We have the choice to look up and see God coming out to us. Romans 8 says, God who did not even withhold his own son from us, but gave him up for all of us. How will he not also, along with him, graciously give us all things? God longs to give us all things. To me as his kid, to you as his kid, to his other kids who have made bigger mistakes in his past, God longs to give all his kids all his abundance. It's free and available to us. And the invitation to us is to accept happily and readily and to rejoice that we have a generous and kind Heavenly Father. Let's stand together. Friends, this morning... um, I think there's an invitation for some of us to say, yes, I want to be that child, that son, that daughter in, uh, in the house of God. I want to do things God's way. I want to follow God. I want to receive from God his love, his joy, his peace, his way of doing things. I want to really start following Jesus today. Let's pray together. And friends, if you really want to start following Jesus today, if you say, you know what? I want to do things God's way. I want to receive what God has for me. I want to be his son, his daughter. I want to, I've tried to do things on my own. I want to do things God's way. Just put your hand up, if you will, and pray with me. Jesus, we thank you that you have new opportunities for each one of us every day. And right now, Jesus, I receive your opportunity to follow you, to do life your way, not on my own, not struggling and striving and trying and, you know, making ends meet, but following you, doing things your way, receiving your love and your joy and your peace. Would you forgive me? Would you forgive me? For everything I've said, done, thought, would you make my heart new and clean today? That I may live with you, God, in your generosity, that I would be comfortable in your party, God, comfortable with the things of God. In Jesus' name.
Friends, if you've prayed that prayer and really like mean it for the first time, come talk to myself, um, another pastor here, Rob, Stephen. Just say, hey, I prayed that prayer because we believe that that changes things and that can change really the rest of your life. And then, guys, as I was praying about this this morning, last night, um, uh, prayer team, if you guys want to come forward, um, I felt like there's some folks who feel like, you know, God's doing some great things and you're watching it. You're outside. Maybe you see other people who seem really happy in church or other people who are like reading their Bible all the time or that God's doing good things and you feel a little outside of it. And you'd really like to come back in. You'd really like to be part of the revival. You'd really like to be part of the party. And I think if that's you today, it's not just you. That's what God wants for you. God wants you back inside. God wants you to experience the fullness of his joy, his peace, his party with you. Um, so if that's you, just come on up. We've got folks who would uh, really love to pray with you, for you. Um, confidentially, there's no judgment, just brothers and sisters in Christ who have been there, who are happy to pray with you.